Welcome to The City That Votes, a podcast series from the Chicago Board of Elections, taking a behind-the-polling-place curtain for a look and listen at how our election system works in the Windy City. I'm Max Bever, Director of Public Information and your host for the program. This episode, I'm very pleased to introduce you to our new commissioner at the Chicago Board of Elections, June A. Brown, who was sworn in by the Office of the Chief Judge of the Circuit Court of Cook County on January 13th. We're very happy to have a person of her talents and expertise join the board. I don't want to do too long of a preamble, because I know both you and I would rather hear directly from Commissioner Brown about her life and her commitment to public service and voting rights, but let me do a very quick rundown of her impressive resume. Commissioner Brown is a longtime voting rights advocate and practicing attorney, and has presided over hearings and elections for both Chicago and Cook County electoral boards, and has worked at Election Central for federal, state, and local elections. She has served as a judge and mentor with international law school competitions, as the chair for the Alternative Dispute Resolution Committee, and as an appointed member for the Kogan Committee and the Public Affairs Committee with the Chicago Bar Association. She has continued to hone her skills through her work as an administrative law judge, arbitrator, mediator, and training facilitator. And with that, let's talk to our new commissioner. Commissioner Brown, thanks so much for joining us on The City That Votes. Thank you for having me. Uh, Commissioner, so you've really got an amazing resume and an amazing story to tell, so I'd really like you to just say it in your own words, but tell me about growing up in Alabama and how you became involved in fighting for civil rights in the first place. Well, I think that uh, growing up in Alabama has been really a plus, and I know everyone doesn't say that, but I was exposed to so many things from a young age of young people and all intergenerational people fighting for the civil rights of everyone. And so while we may not have gotten in-depth conversations, we knew that there was something important going on. And a lot of the college kids were very engaged at that time. And they would take us around, take the younger kids with them, maybe not to the marches, but we would listen to some of the things they were saying. And I was engaged by that. And I also had the opportunity between doing that and traveling to New York to visit relatives or traveling other places Mm -hmm. where I saw what was going on there and there was a comparison. So in Alabama, we, we were able to see front and center things that we knew were not right. We didn't know exactly why, but we knew that they were not right because there were things that people were kept from doing that because of maybe their color and even their gender that just struck me wrong. And so I became engaged as a young child wanting to know what the rights were and why we couldn't do it. Mm Now, my hero, my superhero in my life is my, was my late father, William Brown, who never let me feel inferior to anything and always pushed to say you could do whatever you want to do. And that he did with all of us and everybody else he touched in their lives. So that pushed me to focus on, well, then everyone should be able to do whatever they want to do. If they want to get an education, which was foremost as a way of leaving what was depressing or oppressing, and moving to another step level. Education was pushed by everyone. So that kind of focused me. Mm -hmm. How do I get educated and become a help to someone else? I was always trying to get other kids engaged in how they could go to school and talking to people about voting. And voting became so important, I came to realize that it was a power. Mm -hmm. There's no other voice that you have to let those who govern you know that you approve or disapprove of something. Things may be legal. There were many things that were legally done, 
But until they were voting to change, there was, you know, you could do them without consequence, and and people suffered great consequence mm-hmm. and cost. There were several losses uh, in the family. There were people who may have, who disappeared fighting. There were people who lost their livelihoods because they chose to fight for someone else. And that impacted me greatly. But it wasn't just Alabama, because I could see it. So in the sixth grade, after uh, Mr. Blevins Stout, who lived around the bend from my grandmother, filed a lawsuit as the NAACP, and which I think is still pending as of this day, but uh, the freedom of choice to integrate schools was enacted. That's what I did at Hearytown Elementary School. And uh, me and about eight other kids went into the uh, school at that time. And that was part of our focusing on mm-hmm. how do you get, we have a right to be here. We sit at the table, we're coming to the table. And we and you don't have a chair, as Shirley Chisholm said, we brought our own chairs and sat <laughs> down. And so, and so it became an imperative over and over the years. And then my grandparents, who may not have had the opportunities for education, pushed education. I saw my grandfather, who at that time, it was 67, because in 1967, and had to mandatorily retire from his job Mm -hmm. at U.S. Steel that he'd worked at for 44 years. But what he did that was most important, he still worked with the community to try to make things better, and he went back and he got his third grade certificate. We had a huge part, because he put it in our minds education, and then doing something for someone else, moving people forward. Then I saw another family member. They lost their land mm-hmm. through eminent domain, because, and it was a governmental. It was legal, but there was no voting rights because they were gerrymandered out of the voting of that area. So they would, it was taken away, and I never saw them regain that land because land is precious there too. Mm-hmm. And so as I worked to, to make myself a person that would give back, I also wanted to focus on being sure that someone else could come along, and the civil rights was the way we were able to do that. It's really an extraordinary way to put that, and and (laughs) such an amazing story. It sounds like your education and that commitment to public service really started at home for you then. You've also mentioned uh, the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act making a big impression on you as a child. Well, I'd seen in 63 where people were marching, taking buses, uh, wagons. I saw a wagon, honest to God, come through Birmingham. I don't know where it was, but it was on its way to Washington. And then I, we saw people being hurt, uh, as I mentioned, Mr. Blevins Stout before. Nicole Hannah-Jones wrote about him in The New Yorker in mm-hmm. about 2017. And I was like, I know these people. These are people that I knew who impacted my life. And that 1965 Voting Rights Act was such a time of celebration. I mean, I didn't really know what it fully meant, of course. Uh, I didn't know it was undergirding the 14th and 15th Amendments to make them active, but I knew something was exciting because when it was time to vote, every time, I remember my aunts, my great aunts, my grandparents, they dressed up to go vote. (laughs) And I was reminded of that when I saw that uh, after Mandela was released in South Africa, the people who stood in the lines to vote, they did that in the South. The, the grandparents would put on their Sunday best. Everybody dressed up. They stood in line. The young men would have on the little white shirts with the black skinny ties. They stayed there until they could vote. Now, what may be disheartening for some people after time is that in 2022, 
2020 at least. I saw that again in Atlanta, and I don't think we should be seeing that. I just think that that was such an exciting time, and I knew how important it was to them Mm -hmm. that the 1965 Act gave them that actual right. For many who may never have had it, I've actually have in my possession at home a poll tax receipt, a few of them. My godmother here, father in Arkansas, paid poll taxes, but I'm not sure he ever voted. I know people who took literacy tests, who had learned it, who were st- who the freedom schools and the students. It wasn't just in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. They, the college students would come back and teach other people about it to get them ready to vote. Until 65, they still couldn't do it. And they knew the Constitution better than the people who were asking them the question. They asked them questions like, how many jelly beans are in this jar? They actually did that. And people were telling me that, and you would see people who had been beaten for asking the question, or you'd see people being arrested in a car where they were the passenger because they may have been in a march and mm-hmm. someone was bringing them home. So 65 kind of gave this new spirit of, I could see the lightness, and, and I never knew them to really ignore voting. It made a difference to them because they knew the power of that vote and that voice. It gave them a voice about things like, is there going to be water in this area? Mm-hmm. Can we go in and out of places? Although 64 was the public accommodations and some of the issues for civil rights, 65 gave it voice. Unless you can have public accommodation, but if it's legal for you to leave it like it is and there's no voice, it doesn't change anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what everyone who's still looking at it and saying, this should be a God-given right. 65 should not have had to happen. Mm -hmm. 65 is from the genesis of the Federalist Papers. Let's go back. That's where the country started. The 57 Federalist Papers said it must be for the greatest good. The rich have no more right to vote than the poor, or the haughty no more than the humble. Mm -hmm. But we all have to have that right to vote. And that wasn't ever effectuated in our time but it was something that 65 made real again. You had the 14th and 15th Amendments coming up, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, giving citizenship and equal protection and due process, but they weren't effectuated until 1965. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made it so powerful and so impactful. And any of those of us who were exposed to it or taught about it, it changed our focus of what voting really means. And that's my concern today mm-hmm. is that we have to keep that in our head, what voting means, not just to based on race, gender, but also to all of us as a voice to tell those who govern us what we really want mm-hmm. from them. Yeah, the, the power of your own voice as your vote. I mean, I was particularly struck by what you said during your swearing-in, Commissioner, about the, the right to vote is a precious promise. Why are open, fair, and equitable elections so important to you in the first place? Well, again, my voice should be heard. And it shouldn't be blocked, and I should have access. The barriers that are being put up or that remain should be gone, should not have ever been there. Mm -hmm. I have a right as a woman, as a black woman, as a seasoned black woman now, to tell tell those who are I've sent to represent me, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. And if you hinder me through the vote, how else am I going to tell you? I can scream it or they can take polls and look at it all they want to. But until that vote is effectuated and I say it out loud with whether you stay in or you're removed, it doesn't become real. It doesn't have consequence. Mm -hmm. And so I think everyone should have 
fair elections. I'm all for it. I want integrity in everything. People who are eligible to vote should have that right to vote, and there should not be barriers put up. Some of the restrictions that we're seeing now are quite concerning and disconcerting. Mm -hmm. However, I don't think that they are insurmountable. I think that there are ways that those who are st who stuck it out in the early, the, before Jim Crow and on through and from the existence of this nation will continue to push forward to do the things that are necessary to make sure and ensure that this precious right is, and promise maintains. That's what we, when I stated the Federalist Papers, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. They said, you have this right. I believe it. Certain people believe it. And we've got to make sure that it's maintained. Let's make sure everyone believes it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Commissioner, you talk a little bit about those barriers. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what you foresee as some of the biggest obstacles facing voters right now? Yes, I think apathy, discouragement. Because some people, not only just young people now, but even people who know better, saying, what difference does it make? Mm -hmm. You know, my vote doesn't matter. Well, we've heard the stories, and I don't have it right off the top of my head, but there are several stories where one count, one vote made a difference. Changed. To, this, to this day, we see, you know, things by two votes, <laughs> by three votes. Very close, very close. <laughs> you think and that'd be proof enough at this point? You would think that people would say, my vote does count. And for whatever bit it does count, we need to make sure that it's there. If, if I can get it in there, if it's administered properly, I want it there. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to block me because I have that right. That is a right. That is a promise. That is why, what makes democracy democracy. That's what makes us different. Otherwise, you know, what makes us different if we don't have a chance to say we have a representative government but we have a voice in it because we vote them and tell them whether they stay or go. Mm -hmm. I think that was just a really lovely way to put that, Commissioner. So uh, you've been a part of Election Central for quite a few times here in Chicago already. Can you tell me what an election day was like for you before you became a commissioner here at the Chicago Board of Elections? Yes. <laughs> it was exciting. We would get here before daybreak. <laughs> Uh, in Election Central is a group of attorneys and different investigators in and out. We answer the calls from, hey, the door is locked at the polling place, <laughs> <laughs> to uh, where am I supposed to go today? Am I still working? You know, but. Mm -hmm. Then there are several legal issues uh, that are real, uh, constitutional issues that we may have to send up. There may be some skirmishes, but the Chicago Board of Elections is so well administered that there, I've never seen a skirmish or anything that couldn't be handled on the busiest of days. And mm -hmm. you know, for the last several years, we've had some of the most busy days and interesting elections that you can think of from our mayoral to our presidentials mm -hmm. and the board of the Chicago Board of Elections has handled them admirably in fact I think it's an example for the nation I actually do believe that and I think I'm saying that because as we get in this very challenging time ready to go through the next four seasons of elections, <laughs> I think we're going we're gonna to bring all of that to bear. Yeah. And I think that, that it's imperative to say that Election Central is a wonderful experience. I think people should really, you're busy all day. I mean, you don't even know the count. You just are busy doing answering calls and handling the situation, making sure things run smoothly in all of the precincts all over the city. 
And it's a great time to collaborate, and I think it's been very, very good for my growth. I can't wait for my first time at Election Central. I hear all the stories, and <laughs> it sounds like it's a combo of customer service and legal diplomats and everything in between. Everything in between. You're exactly <laughs> right. So, uh, Commissioner, I know that there's another exciting stat of you joining the board, but I understand this is the first time the Chicago Board of Elections has a female-led majority in the commissioners as well? And, you know, I think that that's exciting because, well, just like men, women have the capability and outstanding credentials to do it. But now the opportunity presents itself for that leadership. And mm -hmm. I think hopefully in the future it won't be a stat. It will just be a common occurrence. Mm -hmm. But I think working together, broadening the base, the diversity and inclusion of what we bring to it will encourage not only other young folks, but other folks in general, and especially women, to come and not just be on the periphery, on the sidelines, as I stated earlier, there's a seat at the table for me, mm -hmm. and to come in and lead, of course, sustained by our talents and our capabilities. Don't shrink back from that. Advocate, speak up, say, don't allow others to shut you down. Say that this is what needs to happen here, and make sure that we maintain that promise of fair, free, and open elections. That's a great way to put that. You know, we can celebrate this, but hopefully we can get to where it's just a big shrug <laughs> eventually, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, Commissioner, I've got one more question. It's another one of the magic three questions. Okay. But, um, what are your three main issues you'd like to focus on as a commissioner at the Chicago Board of Elections? I would like to focus on, and I think we may have touched on them as we were talking, but education, because I think that's imperative. Once people know about that power to change housing issues, to educational issues for your children, for yourselves, banking, money issues, mm -hmm. you impact all of that through your voting. So we've got to educate people about that. Then we've got to reach out to diverse groups, but not just diverse groups, reach out to everybody. We're all diverse. We bring something to broaden that base. And I think that there's outreach here. We have community engagement and outreach, but keep going and enhance it and move it further. And I think different personalities bring different things to it. And also, get out the vote. We gotta tell people, no matter who you're voting for, our focus is that you vote. We want you to vote. We want to make sure that you have the opportunity, the access, no barriers, make it flow and keep it going, but vote. That is what we want from every citizen that we cover and who's eligible to vote. The Chicago Board of Elections is excited about making that opportunity available. Well, thank you, Commissioner. Well, it sounds like we'll be working together very closely over the next two years and quite a bit on our plate heading into these next four elections. But I know that I've said it over and over, but we're so very grateful to have you join the Board of Commissioners, and I can't wait to get to work with you very soon. Me as well. I look forward to it. I love your energy and the things that you've done. The information that you've put out has been totally exciting and excellent and I look forward to doing great work with you. Thank you Commissioner you're making me blush. But <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and I'm glad that our listeners have gotten this introduction to you and your life. I'm glad to, to meet every one of them and I can't wait until we see each other and we work together again. Thank you so much to Commissioner Brown for taking the time to speak with me and for her continued dedication to public service and the voters of Chicago. I will also use this moment to give listeners a quick reminder that election judge and coordinator applications will be available starting on March 1st. 
If you're interested in serving as a paid judge or coordinator, please visit www.pollworker.chicagoelections.gov. Thank you for listening to The City That Votes from the Chicago Board of Elections. Please follow us on social media. We're at Chicago Election on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And leave us a review when you've got the time, or contact me at communications at chicagoelections.gov and let me know what you might want to hear and know more about behind the scenes at the Chicago Board of Elections. Until next time, I'm Max Bever, Director of Public Information, and thank you for listening. <laughs>